everyone. Welcome to episode 35 of the 2QB Experience. This one is the Cody Kessler Experience. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And on the line with me, your other host, Josh Lake at Lake2QBs. Joshua, what is up? Hey, it's good to be here. I am just about done with fantasy for the year. I think I've got one league still going and that's it. Yep, and then soon enough it'll be MFL 10 time again, and then we'll be right, right back into it, right? Absolutely. So um, give me a quick recap of how you did in your leagues. Did you get any championships this year? I did not, unfortunately. So I was in the championship game a couple of times and lost, and it looks like I'm walking away with third place in most of these leagues, unfortunately. Uh, that's too bad, yeah. Yeah, what about you? I made it in about th- two or three of my leagues, um, two of which were you know a little more meaningful to me than the third but um you know still wanted to win all of them right and uh, i did take away the championship in my home auction league it's a it's a keeper league so nice. i had really high expectations my keepers were stacked heading into the year like really good players on insane values and it, it finally paid off i didn't win the regular season which does count in those leagues but um it, it was nice to to win the finals and, and and i did it in like a really big way i think i scored over 200 points with like Kaepernick and Tyrod and a bunch of other uh, like actually good players. So that was fun. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, those, the titles are what we play for. Like it's all well and good to finish up there, or have a good regular season, but it's it's really the titles that make it a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. But we're now in that kind of weird nebulous gray area where are we still talking about what's going to happen in week 17? Like the, the train wreck that is week 17 for fantasy. Uh, are we looking forward to next year? Um, it's something that you and I kind of discussed leading up to the podcast, how we wanted to handle this. And full disclosure for the listeners out there, give you guys an idea of what this episode is going to be about. We're going to do a little bit of forecasting, look ahead to next year. We're going to talk about what happened in week 16, what's going to happen in week 17, um, maybe dive into the playoff picture a little bit, um, because that's really what's going to drive most of the analysis, I think, for the final week. And then we'll spotlight Cody Kessler and, and, and call it an episode. Josh, do you have anything to add uh, before we dive in here? No, let's see where it goes. So I want to start by looking ahead. I want to look at 2017 because, as we noted, most leagues are done at this point. And I know that it's it's really far in advance, and, and there are a million caveats we can throw into these sorts of discussions. But which quarterbacks, as of right now, are on your do-not-draft list for uh, 2017? I imagine Cam Newton is on that list again because even though he had a down year and people kind of realized this was very different than his QB1 year, I think he's probably still going to climb the ADP ranks. I think he'll end up in the top three or four pretty pretty comfortably, and I'm not going to be willing to pay that price, I, I suspect. Yeah, and, and we should make a distinction here. It, when we say do not draft, price does have to come into the discussion, right? Um, for me, the do not draft list is probably going to be any quarterback who is on average going in the first two rounds. Um, that's been my MO for a few years, and I'm going to stick to that because it seems to work for me. Um, are there any that are just, you know, guys who you know will probably be drafted, but based on ability or their situation that you're just going to be hands-off when it comes to 2017? Um, I'm still looking into that and thinking through it. The The other name that comes to mind is Blake Bortles. I think he's he has been fine for fantasy, and he's ended up as a QB1 by season's end. But he's he's been shaky. He looks bad. He's a situation that really worries me because – there's going to be a new coaching staff that doesn't have a lot of loyalty to him and they'll come in and see a lot of bad tape and who knows what kind of faith they will put in to him. Yeah. And it, it's hard because like we 
talked about earlier, price is so important. Like if Bortles is the QB 25, I will be willing to draft him at that price. But yeah, I can see how a guy like that who year after year at this point has been bad, essentially a bad quarterback, not necessarily always bad for fantasy. Like in 2015, he was very good, but we know he doesn't necessarily have the skill to be the elite starter that maybe some of us wanted him to be coming into this year. For me, I'm finally looking at some of these aging QBs and wondering if now is the time just to to say, nope, hands off, no thanks. And and the three names that come to mind for me are Carson Palmer, Eli Manning, and Joe Flacco. Like I feel like we've kind of seen all three of those guys hit their ceiling, you know, and I mean, price will matter, and I don't mind having a boring quarterback in a two-QB league, but if I can help it, I'll probably be shooting for more upside than what those guys provide. Like Manning in particular is the guy who really worries me because we've seen him have bad years in the past, but this year was just so bad that I, I don't know. I'm I'm going to have a real hard time trusting him even as my QB two next year. What, what do you think of Manning? Yeah. Of the names you mentioned, I think I'm most optimistic for him. Just you're right that I'm not going to think that he has great upside. And like we've covered previously, he has the really, the peaks and valleys. I think he's kind of consistent for what he is, that you know you're going to have up and down weeks. If you can handle that at your QB2 spot, you'll take the good weeks. Um, today, I spent some time pulling MFL 10 data, just looking at number of top 12 weeks over the season. And Eli had five out of 16 were top 12 weeks in MFL 10 scoring. And the last two years, he had been seven and six. And so it's the same thing that we've seen in, in our 2QB data and all the various things that he does. he's not a, a QB1, but if you can get him cheap, which I expect kind of QB20 or so, I think I'll probably be okay with him as a QB2 next year. Yeah, I, I suppose that's fine. And we, my main concern with him is that it doesn't always seem to be matchup based. Like it's not as predictable as I want it to be when he's going to be good. Whereas other quarterbacks, if you put them against a bad defense, you can kind of expect them to succeed. If you put them against a tough defense, you can expect them to fail. And I don't know if Manning fits that bill in quite the same mold. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and it's, it's fair. He's a lot harder to play matchups with. Yep. Um, are there any other guys, just price-wise, that you have a feeling will probably be too expensive for you next year? Uh, I have a feeling Matt Ryan is going to be one of those guys for me. Yeah, what a roller coaster he is going to be on these last couple of years. I think that Tom Brady is going to be up there just because I think the age cliff, we're pretty clearly getting to that point. And I don't know that we do hit it for sure, but he's going to be 40 at the start of next season. And I just don't think that I'm going to want to pay the price that he's going to, the price tag that he's going to carry. Yep. The other guy I'm worried about is Dak Prescott. And it's kind of like what happened with Cam this year, where he was so good in 2015 that you couldn't help but have to draft him high expecting something similar and Dak's been great and he should get better you know in his second year but for fantasy purposes I don't know if he's going to live up to these top 10 expectations that he's you know planted in our brains are you at all worried about Prescott yeah I think that the regression is definitely a concern he's looked so good and seems to have such a good grasp of things but I think you do have to worry will he kind of step back from the progress or not the progress just step back from what he's been able to do this year and I'm not scared of of Prescott, but the price tag is probably going to be the concern there, is your point. Yep. Um, let's 
let's twist this conversation a little bit. Let's talk about um, some of the elite guys specifically. So Aaron Rodgers is going to finish the season as the the clear leader in points per game, or at least through week 16, which is what we care about in fantasy. He had about 23 points per game. Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Andrew Luck in that QB2 to QB5 range uh, for points per game. Which quarterbacks do you think are the best bets to, you know, crack that top five and maybe bump some of these guys from it? We just talked about how we're a little worried about Matt Ryan and Tom Brady, but which QBs would you expect are in line to replace them if if that happens in, in next season? I think this is such a good question. Trying to predict which ones are going to jump out next year. The one that leaps to mind is Kirk Cousins. He's right on the border of the top five this year. Um, there's a there's a clear gap between the top five and him in points per game, but he is right there. Depending on your scoring, he's QB six, QB seven, something like that. I think that he has a chance as he continues to develop if he stays in Washington, if Josh Doxson gets healthy, if Jordan Reed is healthy. I think it's a good situation, and he's proven to be fantasy viable. Uh, Would I say it will happen? No, but I think he's got a shot. Um, Matthew Stafford, I think, has a sneaky shot if they can keep doing things right with him just because of the volume. And Marcus Mariota is another name that I think is kind of a dark horse. Yeah, I really like the Mariota call. He was on my list. Uh, I think we have to talk about the the more obvious ones, the guys who have done it before as well. Um, You mentioned being worried about Cam Newton, but I think he has that in his range of outcomes because we've seen it a couple times before, right? We've seen him be a top five QB and Russell Wilson for the the same reason. Um, In fact, Wilson would probably be my best bet to do it, if only because we know that he's great. And most of the reasons he seemed to struggle this year, I feel like you can, you can explain away, right? You can say, Oh, the offensive line was terrible. The running game struggled to get going. Uh, Tyler Lockett was not healthy for most of the year. Uh, If they can get things right with that team, I think that Wilson's a guy who could very easily jump back up into that top five and perhaps be, you know, the discount that Cam Newton was two years ago, you know, where people see the bad season that Wilson had in 2016. And instead of being like the QB six or the QB seven in uh, ADP, he's like the QB eight or the QB nine for no good reason, like going behind maybe Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins. Um, and I don't know if that is correct, uh, looking ahead, but you know, we have a lot of time to suss that out. So don't need to dwell uh, too much longer (laughs) on this. Um, let's, let's get into, uh, our news and notes here and let's start, let's get back to Mariota. Um, broke his fibula replaced by Matt Castle. We don't need to be too worried about this long-term, but if you are playing in week 17, do you have any interest in using Matt Castle? I feel like this is kind of a, opens a bigger can of worms like how in the world do you rank quarterbacks this week um i I was trying to do it today sorry to butt in but yeah i was starting my rankings process today and thank god we don't have a thursday night game because i'm really gonna need like the full week of practice reports to try to suss this out because the reports right now are friggin ridiculous and yeah, like just figuring out which quarterbacks are going to play. Like we're going to get to it later, but there are some teams who have already admitted that they're going to use multiple quarterbacks. We don't know how they're going to split the time or anything like that. It's it's such a mess. And just please, for the love of God, listeners, if you are the commissioner of a fantasy league, don't let your league play in week 17. Um, <laughs> sorry, I cut you off. Please, please continue. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great PSA. Um, I think that's the bigger question is how do you rank quarterbacks? But I would say regardless of what you're doing, Matt Castle's got to be kind of near the bottom. He's not good. The team is not playing for anything. They're playing the Texans who, while are not playing for anything themselves, I think their seating is locked in. 
they still have a good defense and I don't expect great things. I think he's kind of at the very bottom of my QB rankings personally. Yeah, I'm with you. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to say that Matt Castle isn't a guy you want to use. I think I have him ranked at QB 30 right now in my rankings. Uh, This is very preliminary. It might change, but I'm more concerned about what this would do to everyone else in that offense. Like if you are a DeMarco Murray or a Derrick Henry owner, are you going to run those guys out there when there's very little threat of the passing game being efficient? Are you going to use Delaney Walker? Are you going to use Rashard Matthews? Like these are guys who have been dependable assets for your fantasy team. And it's, it's just another you know example of what happens when, when the quarterback play changes that affects the entire team. And I, I don't know, do, do you have a, a strong feeling either way? Like I don't think I would be worried about using, Derrick Henry because it makes sense that they would get him involved a lot in this game like just to kind of see what they have a little bit more um DeMarco Murray worries me a little bit but I think he'll be fine but the receivers I I don't think I would touch this week would you that's a good point I hadn't really considered but yeah given the huge downgrade they're gonna have a quarterback that's probably a good call that Delaney Walker is probably the most tempting of all the options but the wide receivers for sure I, I would have a hard time starting any of them all right, so let's talk about the other guy who broke his leg in Week 16, Derek Carr, uh, replaced by Matt McGloin. McGloin actually does have something to play for this week. I'm a little concerned that the Raiders will go out and try to win it with defense in the running game because you know their team is good enough to do that, I think, or they're talented enough to do that. Tough matchup, though, against the Broncos. So if Matt McGloin really struggles, I mean, we could see turnovers leading to points for Semyon and Lynch. We could see uh, you know, just general stifling of that Oakland offense. Um, let, let's put it this way: Would you rather have Matt Castle or Matt McGloin in your lineup this week? <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather have Matt Castle just because I do think that the the Denver matchup is going to be really really scary. I mean, they have no reason to rest. They're not going into the playoffs. They are the best defense uh, this year, and it could get real ugly real fast. Whereas the Texans may rest starters. They may pull people. Maybe maybe Castle has a better shot at late game success. I think they're both bad, but I would I'd give a slight edge to Castle. Yep, I like your justification, and I, I think if this were like a neutral matchup for both of them, I'd rather have McGloin, if only because I like his weapons a little bit better. Uh, but you're right, I think the matchup alone here against Denver is is enough to scare me off of McGloin. Let's talk about a non QB who broke his leg, Tyler Lockett. Uh, he's out for the rest of the year. We we talked about you know how his health has been kind of a key factor in Russell Wilson's success, but with Lockett out is Wilson a guy that you would still run out there like if you're making DFS lineups this week is is he a guy you'd consider using um not knowing pricing just because I'm not playing DFS right now but I would think so I playing against San Francisco is a, a very favorable matchup for quarterbacks and I do think that Wilson has other options it changes the way that he plays and Lockett has been an important piece but I think he'll still be plenty fine this week it's not as if this is a game-breaking loss Yep, and they do need to win, or they want to win, uh, for potentially getting the two seed uh, in case Atlanta loses. And I don't know, I, I think I'd be a little wary of him in DFS, but in yearly leagues, I think if you're playing in Week 17, Wilson's a guy you should absolutely be running out there. I think this makes Paul Richardson really interesting in DFS, though, as, as kind of a an outside-the-box play. Um, he could step in and be that wide receiver 2.5. Um, you know, Jermaine Curse is, I guess, Seattle's official wide receiver, too, at this point. But you and I both know that Jermaine Curse is not that good and not an explosive player by any means, whereas Richardson, you know, had some hype coming into the league. I, I don't know if he's ever going to live up to that, but he's interesting to me. And, and, I, and I think that he's worth considering maybe in a lineup or two if you're going that route. 
So what else um, have you been seeing in the news or, or in, uh, you know, week 16 or, or looking ahead that, that's that's caught your eye, Josh? Just for this week, and it has impacts on the future, the Jets continue to astound me. I don't understand the news that's coming out of their quarterback situation. Um, the news being that Bryce Petty is out, I believe he tore his, his labrum, and Rather than play their second-round draft pick, Christian Hackenberg, they're going to throw Ryan Fitzpatrick back under center, even though he's not going to be with the team next year. And it's mind-boggling. I can't say that I really understand it. Um, the One of the best theories I've seen was Pete Davidson. He's on Twitter, at Rotobon, saying that maybe it's just that Hackenberg is so dreadful that the other 10 players around him on offense, they couldn't evaluate well. And so they just want game tape on the other 10. And if so, that's a pretty bad indictment of this second round quarterback. That's a that's a really good take, actually. I hadn't seen that tweet or considered that angle, but that makes a lot of sense. So let me put it to, the, to you this way. Does this make Christian Hackenberg you know, droppable or cuttable to you in dynasty formats? Um. In one quarterback, sure. In, in two quarterback, I don't think so. He he would be on the bubble for me, but I think until we see some real game action, I don't want to cut him. He was pretty bad in the preseason, if I remember correctly. I I am the type of player, even in Dynasty, where if if a guy is not is is this far behind, you know, at this point in his career, I I might be willing to cut him, especially if there's like a another interesting player available. Um, not that that's likely the case in your Dynasty leagues, because those guys tend to get snapped up especially, you know, in that rush at the end of the season when, when teams get eliminated. But I don't know. I don't think I'd have any problem with with anyone cutting Hackenberg, even in 2QB Dynasty. I, I think I own him in one spot. Um, but I guess it doesn't hurt to hold on. You're right and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't love him. I don't think that there's great hope for his future. But I do think that the draft capital is a real thing and that he's going to get a shot, whether it's in New York or elsewhere, just because... Going in the second round says some NFL decision makers liked what they saw and they're going to want to try him on the field at some point. And I want to hold just for the chance that that first couple games looks good and I can dump him. Yeah, I wish I knew what the problem was, you know, and this is something that comes up for me in fantasy a lot. It's like like the the news with Doug Martin today was very interesting. Like he was a a healthy scratch or or was uh, wasn't playing last week and it kind of came out of nowhere. And we had no idea why. Like, now we know why. He was essentially suspended for failing a drug test. But with a guy like Hackenberg, I wish I had some inclination as to what the problem is. Because that would help inform my decision or whether or not to keep him on my roster. So information in our game is king, right? Yeah, it's there really isn't a good answer. And I think our assumption is he's probably just really bad. Yep. Uh, someone who has not been bad, but is going to get benched anyway, is Tyrod Taylor. Uh, he has a, a clause in his contract that if he gets hurt, uh, he's going to you know, make a bunch of money. So the Bills are not going to use him. They're going to use E.J. Manuel in Week 17. And as opposed to Matt Castle and Matt McGloin, Manuel is a guy that I'm very interested in from a streaming perspective. I think that he could be good this week. The matchup isn't bad. Uh, are, are, are you considering E.J. Manuel uh, a decent play for this week? He is kind of just barely above those names for me, um, the, the Matt McGloin, Matt Castle names, sorry. I don't think he's good, and I don't know that I really expect this game to be very pretty on either side of the ball, both Buffalo and New York, just kind of turning it over, slugging it out, letting the, letting the clock run as much as they can to get the game over with. 
I think he might be okay, but I don't think like he's not a DFS target for me unless it's a pricing issue, just because I don't think he's going to put up gaudy stats. Yeah, I think that's fair. It'll be interesting to see how they run their offense now that the Ryan brothers are gone. Uh, what I do like here, though, is the matchup. Like The Jets have been very liberal uh, in terms of how many points they give up to passing offenses and to offenses in general. And I and I think that, you know, it's not like Emmanuel's going to hand off every play. You know, we, we've seen Tyrod Taylor do fine on limited volume. And now that the coaching regime is different, it's possible that even the volume could increase. So with all that in mind, I, I do think Emmanuel's a guy who I might be willing to use in DFS. I, I wouldn't have a lot of exposure to him. But, you know, like you said, if, if the price is cheap enough and you can squeeze extra studs into your lineup because you're using Emmanuel, I think that's a play that might be worth considering. I don't know how profitable you'd be doing it, but but he's a guy that I don't think you can outright dismiss. Yeah, I think that's that's fair, and he has by far a better matchup than the two mats. Yep. Where do we want to go next here? Let's see. I think we could talk about uh, one of the games this week that could be interesting depending on how it plays out. Um, I think that the Atlanta playing New Orleans game is pretty interesting, uh, just because ordinarily we would think this could be really explosive, this could be really high scoring, and it just I feel like we have a general cloud of uncertainty for week 17. Like, do we treat it that way? Do we think this is explosive or do we think it kind of fizzles? Well, the Vegas line definitely implies that it's going to be explosive. It's a 56 and a half point over under. Wow. I had not seen that. And and maybe that's changed. I haven't checked it since earlier today, but Atlanta has an implied total over 30 and new Orleans as the underdog has a 25 point implied total. So the gamblers out there believe that we're going to see a lot of scoring in this game. So I, I say stock up on these players. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I I want to. I want to think this is great and kind of play everyone you can on both sides of the ball. I guess I just wonder, like, it, will, will New Orleans see this game getting out of hand and say, you know what, we're just pulling Drew Brees. There's no reason to leave him in the game. Will the Falcons get up so quickly that the Julios and Devonta Freeman and Matt Ryan, like, do they get benched? I could just see this turning lopsided quickly enough that players get rested for various reasons. And it worries me a little bit, but I don't know that it worries me any more than any other game this week. So a couple notes here. I saw a tweet earlier today, and I, I apologize for not being able to give proper credit. This is a, a curse of mine when it comes to remembering these things, but uh, I saw something that said that they, the team, the Saints know that Mark Ingram is only 60 yards away from 1,000 yards rushing, so they're going to actively try to get him that, which is pretty awesome if you're a Mark Ingram owner, I guess. It's also strange to me that they would come out and say that before the game starts, but to your point, in terms of fear of guys getting benched, I think that that's a legit fear on the Atlanta side. On the New Orleans side, I don't, I don't really see what the point is. Like Even if Drew Brees does get injured, the chances of, of that injury being something that would keep him out into next year seem pretty slim to me. Like he's not the type of guy who's probably going to go out there and tear his ACL or anything, right? Like he might break a bone or you get a bruise or, or something like that. But I, I don't see him as a, as a big injury risk in terms of a long-term injury. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, but it, I'm also skeptical of our ability to predict injuries. Like is his ultra consistency and health predictive of him – like, I worry about the fluke things, not that he has brittle bones, not that he's Tony Romo, but just the, in general, you take one bad hit to the knee and he could be gone for next year. 
I don't know. I'm, I don't run an NFL franchise. You could very well be right where they're saying, you know what? He hasn't been hurt in, in X number of years. We're not worried about it. Let's just go out and have fun. I, I do get a little worried. Like, what's the point of exposing him for too long? I, I think the point is that he's been playing for so long that I, I don't know. Like, I don't think for, for me, it's not an issue of me thinking, oh, he's not injury prone. He's safer than other quarterbacks. That's not it. I guess my concern is that th- those flukes like are that they're flukes. They're, they're not something that we can predict. They're not something that we should expect to the point where he's a guy who's chasing records, who's setting records. He's a guy who's played for a long time. I don't see any reason for them not to just run him out there and let him play as long as he, he wants and try to rack up more stats. And I'm, and I'm sure he wants to do that, you know, for his place in NFL posterity. But if, if you want to talk about a guy like Michael Thomas, a rookie they just drafted, then yeah, I could see them saying, okay, uh, Brandon Coleman, get out there, Mike, have a seat on the bench. You know what I'm saying? But with, with Breeze, a guy who's been out there proving it for so long. And I don't know, like a guy who is playing a position where those types of fluke injuries are even flukier. I, I don't think that that concern should be there. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the saints feel differently and, and we'll see that play out on Sunday, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just not worried about it with him or the other veteran guys necessarily. And maybe that's wrong. No, I, I hear your point. And I, th- I think that's a good pushback. Like I said, it's not, anything specific to this game or these players necessarily it's just in general i think there's going to be some scary moments well not scary just dreadful as you see your player get benched for no apparent reason because it's week 17 yep i think i think that concern is very legitimate with the falcons like i said i think matt ryan is a guy that if they get up big they could pull him julio jones for sure if only because we know he's dealing with injuries already um the running backs because anybody could probably run behind that line um teron (laughs) ward has done it yeah, I, I think that it's a good point. I'm just not worried about that with the Saints because, like you said, they don't have anything to look forward to in the immediate future. Like Their only concern would be, what if a guy gets hurt so bad it'll play into next year? And that's so far away that I really doubt that that's going to come into their heads. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, let's talk about Houston. We, we touched on that game earlier from the Tennessee side, but Tom Savage didn't really didn't really do it for us in Week 16. Is there any thought that maybe you know in a better matchup here against Tennessee that he he'll you know finally deliver and and turn you know Hopkins into a beast or 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 are we just thinking that these guys have nothing to play for they're probably just going to go out there and hand it off 50 times (laughs) um I think he's one of the more sneaky streaming options there is this week I think that they want to get him reps they're going into the playoffs they need the practice and it doesn't get better than this in terms of matchups. So he may be able to go out there and kind of sling it around and have some success. And we've seen that he seems more willing to target DeAndre Hopkins than Brock Osweiler was. So I think there's some sneaky upside here. Not not top five quarterback upside, but I think he could he could put up a pretty decent week. Like I'm more interested in him in him than those bad names we've mentioned already. Yeah, he's probably a safer start than EJ Manuel, but I do worry that the the benching could be an issue here. And I don't think that they have incentive to bench Savage because they could always go back to Osweiler as, as terrifying as that sounds, but Hopkins potentially getting benched. Uh, we already know that Lamar Miller is probably not playing. I don't know. Like I'm worried about maybe the weapons here the, or the lack of thereof potentially impacting Savage's value. I, I, I do agree though. It's pretty interesting that, you know, he could be a guy who finishes as like a top 12 quarterback this week. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see it, but but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's just I think he has a better range of outcomes, especially than the two mats playing terrible matchups. 
Um, EJ Manuel has a really wide range of possible outcomes, but I think that Savage is probably, like you said, one of the safer options, but also has more upside than the the two mats. Yep. Uh, let's keep talking about crappy streaming candidates. Let's move on to Denver. Trevor Semien, Paxton Lynch, they're both going to play, uh, as as has been reported. Semien's going to get the start. I don't know what that means. Do you? <laughs> it, it sounds like a preseason game. I, I don't understand this logic at all. Like So Simeon is going to take the first snap, and Lynch will play some, but exactly how that shakes out, no idea. Yeah, like are they going to each get a half? Is Simeon going to get to play for as long as he looks good, and then when he stops looking good, they'll put Lynch in? Like, How do you feel about this if you're the Raiders and KC gets to you know play against both QBs, not necessarily the better of the two? It's it's so stupid. I really like just play Paxton Lynch, just get him in there and and let's see what he can do. <laughs> yeah, I this is another one where I don't run an NFL franchise, but it seems pretty clear. Like you you might as well see what he can do at this point. You've seen Simeon plenty, and you got to think he is not the future for you. Lynch might as well get him a full game of reps. And, and it's a full game against a, a legit defense trying hard, you know? Like, KC needs to win this game. Why not get your QB in there and see what he can do? Now, I understand that, like, maybe there's some fear of him getting injured because maybe you consider him the future of your franchise. But, God, like, running them both out there and, and doing the preseason thing, like, it just doesn't make – it's like, what's the point? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I really can't put a lot of reason behind this one at this point. Um. One team that is technically still alive for the playoffs, and I, I actually want to go into this, so let's just do it. Uh, Tampa Bay, it's going to take some crazy stuff for them to make the playoffs, and let's just run through it real quick. Uh, the Cowboys would need to beat the Lions in Week 16. That has happened. So we're, we're step one complete. One for one. One for one. Uh, the Buccaneers need to beat the Panthers this week. Uh, the Lions need to beat the Packers. The Giants need to tie Washington. So it would be Washington's second tie of the season. What do you think the odds of that are? <laughs> Not good. And as if that, I mean, and that's that's ridiculous. But then the 49ers would need to beat the Seahawks, also ridiculous. The Titans need to beat the Texans. The Colts need to beat the Jaguars. The Lions need to beat the Eagles. And the Chiefs uh, needed to beat the Broncos in Week 16, which happened. So two out of, what is this, nine things have happened. Uh, the two most ridiculous are definitely the tie between the Giants and the Redskins. And then the Niners beating Seattle. But, you know, a team can dream, can't they? <laughs> it is still, they're technically alive. There's a lot of teams that would wish for that, but I don't think it happens. Yeah, I mean, they're they're technically alive, but they're like, what, 99.999% dead? Uh, yeah, it's this isn't a, a Princess Bride situation where, oh, it's only 80% dead. Like, <laughs> they are dead. Like, they're not coming back. Um, but I want to talk about Jameis Winston. And... For the second time in the playoffs, he failed to, you know, do anything in a really nice matchup against the Saints defense. And I'm not sure if this is like a divisional thing or or if it's just Winston, but he's a guy I had high hopes for, not only in those games, but on the season as a whole. And he, he was okay. Like, I, let's, let's look it up here. He finished as the QB 18 in points per game, like right around Phil Rivers and Andy Dalton, which is fine in a two QB league. That's a solid starter. But is, do you think he's going to develop into you know, the elite guy that we wanted him to be, like the number one overall pick type of player moving forward? Like, is he a guy you're interested in for 2017? Yes, interested. I don't think he's going to become an elite guy. Um, but as far as, like, the first-round pick, I think he's probably closer to 
Andrew Luck than Jared Goff. That doesn't make him Andrew Luck, but I, I, I have some optimism. I think he can be pretty successful and fantasy viable, for especially two quarterback leagues. Uh, I think that there's plenty to like there, but I think you're probably looking the wrong direction if you think he's going to become one of the top three guys. Yeah, he's a guy I still have hopes for, but at this point, like I, I do worry, and this happens to me sometimes, where because I invested so much of my like analyst capital in him for this season, like I want that to pay off next year, if that makes sense. Like I want him to, I want him to be good next year because he wasn't as good as I wanted him to be this year. <laughs> and this is like a psychological problem, right? It's it's that it's your brain kind of playing tricks on you. You see what you want to see. Like I can see the good in James Winston, but I, I mean I have to acknowledge at this point through the 2016 season that there's plenty of bad as well. Like he's not the greatest decision maker. He doesn't throw as accurately as you know i'd like him to throw i mean i I love his you know ambition under center like i love the the types of throws he tries to make but at some point you have to learn to balance that aggressiveness with smarts you know with you know the intelligence to to make the right throw or to throw it away um i I don't know i i think that he's a guy that i'm going to be interested in again next year I, i think that you know he could continue to develop i don't think he's blake bortles like not by any stretch but would it surprise me if he finishes next year as, you know, QB 15 or QB 16, you know, in that same general range again? Like, not really. I, I think that having that elite receiver, Mike Evans, helps. But I haven't seen enough from him other than, you know, that wide receiver elevating ability to make me think that he's going to become that top five guy that I thought that he had the ceiling for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I think that's a fair characterization. Yeah. Well, um. Where do you want to go? Uh, what do you want to talk about next year? Do you want to dive into this playoff picture? Do you want to touch on any other, you know, specific players from week 16 or week 17? I don't know that I have a whole lot, honestly. I I need to dig in and look at week 17 more closely just for the one league that I'm I'm fighting for another third place spot this week. Um, well, why don't we why don't we roster doctor you a little bit? Like, what's that team like? What what sort of decisions are you are you facing? <laughs> um, it's a PPR league, so it's 14 teams. I went kind of zero running back and to decent success, but I'm obviously playing for the third place game. So my my team has good receivers, T.Y. Hilton, Golden Tate, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Des Bryant. And so I'm looking at things like, especially Des Bryant, who should by all rights be a starter. I'm not sure. I need to read the news and see if he's going to play, but if he does, how much he's going to play. So would you look at guys like, Adam Thielen, Brandon LaFell, folks that are probably going to play and get targeted a lot over Des Bryant if he's playing. Yeah, I mean, I like Thielen a lot. He was a guy I was pretty high on going into last week. I wasn't quite high enough. I don't think anybody was, but I think I was one of the top five rankers of him on Fantasy Pros, which felt pretty good. Um, nice. But he's, he's a guy I'd run back again this week. Uh, who are they playing, the Bears? Uh, yeah, they play the Bears. They're at home. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, that's a fine matchup. It's not a great matchup, but, uh, you know, I'd probably play him over Dez just because I'm worried that Dez wouldn't play much. Right. I, I think that LaFell is interesting, too, because we know A.J. Green's not playing. Uh, I, I'd probably start both of them over Dez, to be honest. And yeah. who, what other wide receivers are you considering right now? So the only other... Um, those, those two and Larry Fitzgerald, who I'm presumably playing, I haven't seen any news to indicate they're holding him out. Yeah. Fitzgerald was the other one to me who kind of jumped out as someone I might consider benching if only because he hasn't really been that good lately. Right. 
it's tough because the Rams have been a, a fine matchup for wide receivers. And what's the point of holding him out kind of to your Drew Brees point? Like he's not real injury prone. They might as well go out and play. Uh, but he hasn't been good. It's been a really disappointing second half of the season for him. Yeah, I'm looking at my uh, Flobotics page right now, and while the Rams don't rate very well against number one wide receivers by DVOA, they're 21st in the league there, they haven't given up a lot of yards to the position on average. They only give up 53 yards per game to number one Mm. wideouts. Um, I don't know if that would impact your decision. They also give up fewer targets per game than the league average. Uh, The league average is about 8.5, and and they give up 7.3 so I, I don't know like the volume might not be there and i'm not sure if that's because teams are running more against la but he, he's a guy i'd be worried about too i might start Thielen and lafell mm-hmm. over over des and him but that's a tougher call you're right i think that you know the matchup isn't necessarily bad it's just how are they going to use him are they going to use him um or are they going to you know keep running out jj nelson and, and see what he can do right right no that's that's a good point i'll have to go back and look more closely at that spot and then the other situation I'm unsure of is Bilal Powell, and it's mostly injury-related because he hasn't... I think he didn't practice again today, Wednesday, and it's a shame because if he played, he would be an easy lock. Like, I'd be playing him. He's been great with Matt Forte out, but you just don't know in a lost week, a lost season, are they really going to put him out there if he's gimpy? And so then it leaves me looking at um, Alfred Blue, who I think is probably pretty interesting this week, even though he's not good. Um, And I think I probably just plug him in at this point. But it's a shame because Powell is so intriguing. He's had two great weeks as a starter. Do you still have the the fab or or the ability to make pickups at this point? Because that's the one thing about week week 17 that I'll, I'll never really get over is the fact that like you can find production from the most obscure names possible. Like Fitzgerald Toussaint is probably going to have a good mm-hmm. game for the Steelers at running back. Like, is he a guy you could pick up to potentially start in Powell's place? Yeah, I would have to check waivers, but presumably he's out there and okay. it's, we've passed waiver runs. So now it's just pick him up freely. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing to look at is just to see, watch the practice reports, see what happens. I mean, that's, I guess just good general advice for week 17 players is dig into, you know, those no name guys who are just going to get run because, why not you know the teams are just saying fuck it let's let's see what this guy can do or (laughs) or we're resting our starters so someone else has to carry the ball yeah those sorts those sorts of plays i think are interesting right now as well yeah so i i'm not a fan of fantasy in week 17 i wish i wasn't in leagues that did it but i really am interested in the nfl slate like this should be there's some games that won't be interesting but i think there are going to be several that are meaningful the teams are really trying and they could be really good football yeah, which um which game stands out to you the most is is one that you want to watch. I'm assuming you're just going to say Washington because you're a Redskins fan. <laughs> right. I mean, we got to the point that it's win and end, so that's a big deal and the Giants being a rival, being in the division, they're not going to relent. It it could be a very good game. Um the Sunday night game, they did a good job flexing Green Bay and Detroit. Obviously, it's it determines who makes the playoffs, but I also think that's a great rivalry. You love that kind of cold weather game. It's a great way to end the regular season. I mean, until they both decide to go out there and just kneel down every down so that they tie and then Washington's <laughs> out and you're just lying in a puddle of your own vomit and tears, like <laughs> cursing the football gods. I mean, that that could happen, right? Uh, while the narrative is great, it'd be I I would I'd be completely fine with that just because it'd be something you would never forget. But there's no way that division rivals want to let each other in, right? 
I, I mean, I think you're right. There's, I don't think there's any way they could do that. They'd probably, like, they've probably received some sort of ultimatum from the league, right? That says, like, if you guys even get close to tying and it seems like you're trying to tie, we're going to secretly fine you billions of dollars. Like, I could see Roger Goodell in the NFL doing that, right? Yeah, I just don't, I guess I don't know that the motivation would be strong enough. Like, the way I could see it coming down is you, you score a touchdown and the extra point's going to tie the game. And I think you probably kicked for the tie there it, rather than going for two to get the win or loss. Like, might as well get yourself into a situation that's tied. But that is kind of a normal way of looking at things. Like, we'll keep trying, we'll keep playing for overtime. I don't see any motivation that says, yeah, let's make sure we keep Washington out and we'll let this other team across from us in. I don't think it would have anything to do with Washington, but I could see, I, I can I can understand the argument to say, let's not get our guys hurt. Like, all that talk we had about Atlanta and New Orleans earlier like these two teams could essentially guarantee themselves that neither side was going to get hurt and that they were going to go into the playoffs healthy if they just kind of arbitrarily agreed to tie the game right and <laughs> while I, I really doubt it's going to play out like that I, I could see it getting to the point where you know they get to overtime and it's just I, I don't know like I guess you it'd be impossible to enforce it because you'd never know like they might line up in the victory formation or whatever and then all of a sudden you know, Matthew Stafford is is dropping back and throwing a pass to someone who ran out of the backfield. If something like that were to happen and Green Bay had like, oh, well, we thought we were going to tie, you know, we, we, we agreed it was a gentleman's agreement or something like that. Like, <laughs> I, I could see that like backfire. Oh, my dog's barking. I could see that backfiring, you know, to where. Yeah, I guess that's the reason it wouldn't work is because you could never trust the other team to actually go along with the plan, right? I think you're right. You can't, excuse me, you can't trust them. Collusion would get you struck down by the commissioner. I'm sure you're right. And I just, I don't see it happening. The injury point is is a valid one. They may pull starters in certain circumstances, but I just can't see them playing for a tie. Yep. Well, let's talk about some of these other games too. I mean, New England and Miami is pretty interesting, if only because the Pats can clinch home field if they win. Um, I mean, they clinch it if the Raiders lose too, but New England plays first, right? They play their early game, so they're going to have to get out there and, and try to win. I'm interested to see how that game goes, aren't you? Yeah, I think that's a good call. I really want to know what to make of Miami. I, I did not see them having, what is it, a 10-win season at this point? Uh, that came out of nowhere. And then to see what they look like with Matt Moore one more time. I'm, I'm pretty interested in that just because I feel like that's a team I don't really know nearly enough about going into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that entire AFC East had a pretty easy schedule this year because I think they got to play the NFC West. But I don't know. What do you think about Matt Moore for like streaming purposes? Is he a guy that you would use in DFS? Like, where does he rank against you know the Mats and the Manuals and <laughs> the the Tom Savages this week? I'd be pretty interested. Um, I think that the Patriots are a fine matchup for quarterbacks, and I think that this is kind of that same thing I mentioned with Tom Savage. If you probably want to get the reps with a first team offense, let him get more comfortable. Let him just run a full game or close to it. So I'm not too worried about benching. I think this he's kind of a, another good play with a better matchup than the two mats do. Yeah. It's really hard to figure out where to slot those guys versus the more known commodities. That's the trouble I had the most when I was doing my rankings is like compare Matt Moore against new England versus Andy Dalton against Baltimore. Like, Dalton has a much worse matchup, but Dalton is a, is a guy we know. He's a guy we trust. He doesn't have his two best weapons, but that still might he still might be a guy that I'd rather start over Matt Moore, right? Yeah, I'm with you. Dalton, pretty easily for me. 
But it, then if you kind of go down the line and start to compare Matt Moore to Sam Bradford, Carson Wentz, Eli Manning, like, I don't know. I could see making making the argument for, for Moore or Savage or even Manuel over some of these names, and that feels pretty strange to me. And we're not even talking about the guys who we know are not, not necessarily incentivized to play like Prescott. Right. Yeah, it's all of these names that we're talking about and saying good or bad, I'm with you, that it's not ideal. I'm not going and targeting these guys, but... If you're stuck, there's kind of degrees of bad among all of these. Uh, If you have the option of going with something, someone that's more trustworthy, unless you're afraid of a a legitimate benching risk, I think you stick with the guys you know. Do you think there's any incentive, if you know that your league plays in Week 17, to go after the more big-name guys in your draft or or through trades? Like, would you feel better if you had, you know, a Drew Brees or a Matthew Stafford or a Matt Ryan in this sort of situation in terms of pre- preparing for a week 17 in your fantasy league? Are there do you think there's more incentive to owning the known commodities? I don't think so, because, I mean, when we're talking about guys like Sam Bradford or Carson Wentz as known commodities, we're not talking about the great ones and they'll still be fine. The thing that that gets me is we can't really know. I mean, we didn't know that Ben Roethlisberger was going to be a bench risk until the end of the week. Like, he was, what, the third to last game, second to last game? I don't remember, but it was on Sunday. And until that point, we didn't know what the playoff picture was going to look like. And so you couldn't have known he was going to be a risk ahead of time. And I think if you can't predict something clearly ahead of time, then I don't want to change my strategy based on it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think if you're trying to prep, you know, from the get-go, like from your draft season, looking ahead all the way to week 17, you're probably doing it wrong. Like it really pays, I think, to focus most of your draft prep on the the first few weeks of the regular season and maybe have a couple nods towards, oh, this guy has a generally very good schedule. Like I think the Cowboys were one of those teams this year. But yeah, I think if you're trying to plan for one week and it's the last week of the season – that's a little crazy. Like it's just looking a little too far out for something where there are just too many unknowns, you know, like, like you could see a guy like Roethlisberger get benched. Like, whereas a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you know, the best QB in the league has to play it out. Like that game is, is probably the best game of the week. And they've, and like you said earlier, they flexed it. Um, do you have a prediction there? Do you, do you think, you know, who's going to win that one? I, I would predict that green Bay goes into Detroit and wins. I think they're the better team. I'm, it really worries me that Detroit, I think they've trailed in 14 of their 15 games in the fourth quarter. I just don't think they are as good a team as Green Bay is. Yeah, I'm with you. And their defense has looked a lot better in recent weeks. Uh, I don't know if it's it's hard to say how much of that is schedule related. I'm going to pull that up real quick. I mean, they haven't played the best opponents. They played Minnesota, who seems to have quit. They played Chicago, you know, no great shakes there either. And they played Seattle, whose offensive line is a mess. So, I guess it figures that their defense would look a little better. If we look back to that first Detroit game, it was a bit of a shootout. It was uh, 34 to 27, but the Packers got that one in Green Bay. I don't care that much about home field. I'm with you. I think that Green Bay should win this game, but I think Detroit's good enough to give them give them a run. I I, I can't wait to see it. It's I think that's my the game I'm looking forward to the most. What about it at quarterback? I don't think it's super clear that you rank, not you personally, but you generally. I'm not not sure it's clear you rank Rodgers over Stafford this week, though, just because of the strengths of the defenses. I think Stafford could throw often to good success. And Detroit, I'm not saying that they're a, a tough matchup, but I think they're much tougher than Green Bay's secondary. That's a good 
good question. I definitely still rank Rodgers ahead, if only for you know the talent alone. I I don't know. I think that yeah, I I, I can't see it. Like I I couldn't justify Stafford over Rodgers. I'm sorry, can't do it. Okay, fair enough. I think I I'm close. I don't know that it matters to anyone anywhere, but I think that they could have pretty comparable fantasy performances. I, I think you're right on that. Like I, I think that what Stafford, you know, la- might lack in efficiency, he could probably make up for with volume in this game. But the game script could go against him, and that always worries me when like you're chasing points. Uh, so sometimes it works in your favor, right? Like if the game is close and they're throwing a lot, but it's not predictable to where you know that Stafford's going to be throwing all the time, then that's good. Like you could see Stafford pile up huge numbers doing that, but. I think that Rodgers is definitely the safer bet. He's the better QB. He has the better matchup. Like Green Bay ranks 20th in DVOA against the pass. Detroit ranks 32nd. Um, the Green Bay has a pretty good pass rush. They rank fourth in adjusted sack rate. Detroit's offensive line only ranks 18th uh, in adjusted sack rate. You know, preventing sacks. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty easy you know call for Rodgers on my end. But I, I agree, Stafford. I mean, he's probably going to be a top 10 guy, almost regardless of how the game script breaks. Right. If if they're winning, it's because he's throwing. If they're losing, he's going to throw more. Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else you want to touch on in these, this last week of games uh, from a playoff perspective? I, I think the, the KC-Oakland interplay is a little interesting because they're both playing divisional games, but they're not against each other. And the combined outcomes of their game, their games is going to determine who wins that division and who could potentially be a wild card or who right. will be a wild card. Excuse me. Yeah, that is, it's a good point, and Oakland definitely has it a lot rougher. I mean, they have, playing Denver on the road in Denver is rough, and then to have lost Derek Carr, that does not put them in in, a, in good shape to, to clinch that top seed. Well, playing in their favor, if KC loses, they get it automatically, right? Right, right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have the edge to start with. I just think the game is tough. Right. I, I'm curious to see how the Chargers come out to play against the Chiefs because they have nothing to play for. KC has everything to play for. I, I, I'm hoping like I'm, you know, fingers crossed hope against hope that, you know, Phil Rivers can maybe turn back the clock and, and come out and have a really good game again because they fell apart down the stretch. Yeah. It's one of the most disappointing storylines of the year for me. <laughs> really thought this oh, would be a team that would look good. Yeah, I was going to say, do tell. Did you like Philip Rivers, Josh? <laughs> liked Rivers, liked the offense, and I'm super curious what this team would have looked like if they didn't have half the team on IR. God, so brutal. Like, yeah, if, if they just had one of their guys kind of not go down, whether it was Woodhead or Allen, like, it could have been such a different season for them. It's it's really a great what if. Yeah, Woodhead, Allen, Stevie Johnson, Jason Brett on the other side. I think they had some offensive line injuries. Dexter McCluster got injured. Like, it really was a who's who of of IR. You got anything else on these last games? I kind of want to get to the, the spotlight QB and, and get this thing wrapped up. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Cody Kessler. Let's start off, as we always do, with, with the one thing we noticed. Um, there's a really good tweet by uh, Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves, um, and he had stats with Terrell Pryor based upon which quarterback was throwing him the ball. And with Kessler, 62.5% completion percentage, uh, 427 yards and four touchdowns. And I won't dive into these numbers specifically, but with McCown and Robert Griffin III, it was much, much worse than that. I think that's a pretty good feather in Kessler's cap. 
I, I have some other numbers later that, that'll kind of show that, you know, he is a guy that, you know, may be a viable starter for this team next season. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Cleveland needs to go out and draft another QB. Um, but with that said, what do, what do you think about Kessler? What was one thing you noticed about him? The thing I noticed is, I guess the way to put it is that he reminds me of the year Sam Bradford just had. Not very interesting, but really shocks you with kind of the accuracy and the lack of interceptions. So for fantasy's sake, it wasn't super interesting, but there's enough there to say, like, this guy can play. Is it the offense that's limiting him? Is it his own talent? And what with that, I guess just pointing out completion percentages, Kessler was known for being super accurate in college, and so it was comforting to see that he could translate that to the NFL game. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the early Alex Smith years in that regard, where it's it's not flashy, but it's high percentage and I, I don't know. I, I think that you're right. Um, our colleague Ben Cummins uh, early on in the preseason wrote uh, like a profile of the training camp battle between all of the the Browns quarterbacks. And he compared uh, Kessler to Andy Dalton. Um, if you look at Dalton's rookie year versus Kessler's rookie year, uh, Dalton played the full season. Kessler obviously did not. But Kessler beat him in completion percentage, 65% uh, to 58%, uh, had a higher yards per attempt. 7.1 versus 6.6, .6. Uh, better touchdown to interception ratio, albeit small sample size, uh, better QB rating. What do you think about that comparison now? Is Kessler somebody who you could see evolving to, you know, a player on Dalton's level? I think it's, it's certainly possible. I don't know that I'm comfortable saying he will, but I think it's very possible. I think that the Browns are doing the right things, and if they can keep building a team well and keep their coach there and keep some stability— it's a it's a situation where he could become an Andy Dalton if things break right around him. I think it's within his range of outcomes, to use that phrase that I've used too often this episode. Uh, no, don't sweat it. What do you think about the notion that maybe he is injury prone or, or like the fact that he's missed so much time already this season? Now, part of it is, you know, him getting bounced around in favor of other quarterbacks. But do you worry about his health moving forward or is that something that you don't really care about this early in someone's career? Yeah, I'm not. Not too worried. I mean, Matthew Stafford, we had the same concerns when he was young, and now he's been incredibly healthy. I think that they, when they put together a more reliable offense, more reliable offensive line, it's going to be better for whichever quarterback is under center. All right. I got a couple questions for you. I want to start uh, with a, a redraft angle first. And let's assume Kessler returns as the primary starting quarterback, along with you know the same or similar offensive talent around him. Where do you forecast that he'll land in your 2017 redraft rankings? Would he be a guy that cracks your top 24? No. I think that if we know all of those things, he probably still is only getting to the 26 to 28 range for me. Yeah. For me, it would probably depend on what we see from him in the preseason. Like if he comes out and he looks good and, and the other players around him looks good, and especially if we can see them, like you said, improve the offensive line, maybe set up that offense for more success. I think you could make the argument, but I think that's fair. Like if you're forecasting that far out, it's, it's really tough to put a second year quarterback who hasn't shown much <laughs> into that top 24 distinction. Like those are the guys who, as we've discussed in previous episodes, like top 24 is the reliable tier of quarterbacks. And, and after that is where it starts to drop off. I don't think Kessler belongs in that reliable tier just yet. Yeah. I don't think he does. And I don't think the Cleveland offense merits it at this point. Right. Um, so let's 
twist this a little bit. Let's talk about Kessler's dynasty stock. Is he is he a guy who you think is worth targeting and trade? Should we assume that Cleveland is going to draft another QB um, in April? Um, yes and no. I think he's definitely worth targeting because I think his value is nowhere near the point we're talking about as possible. But it, should we assume that they're going to look for another quarterback? I don't think it's a given. I don't know that there's a guarantee. I mean, it is very possible they trade back from that first pick or second, wherever they end up, and kind of keep stockpiling picks as they've been doing. I think that they very well could, but I think they also might be willing to roll with Kessler and RG3 again. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of incentive for them to draft another QB because Kessler is young. He's got some promise. And because their defense is such a friggin' mess, like they've got to use some of their draft stock on on the defensive side of the ball because they need a lot of help there. And it seems like based on, you know, my really sloppy Google research earlier today when I was prepping for this podcast that most of the top talent in the upcoming draft is on the defensive side of the ball. And none of the quarterbacks who are kind of at the top of the class really deserve to be drafted with a top three pick, which is where Cleveland lands. And if they trade back, sure, maybe I could see them going after um, who is who do they got there? Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Watson. Those are like the three kind of consensus top quarterback prospects. But I'm with you. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of incentive to do that. I, I like Kessler's prospects, at least for 2017. And I think that that does make him an interesting dynasty target, because if he does make a little bit of a leap, if he becomes the Andy Dalton type or I don't know, even like a Joe Flacco type, I, I could see that happening or like Alex Smith every year. We talk about how Alex Smith is usable. Now, I don't think those guys are exciting dynasty players, but if you can get that guy at a good cost now, I think that's worth it. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally down to acquire him, but don't trust that you're getting a starter. Sure. And I think that's probably the biggest downside is that he could fall behind RG3 again. They could draft another QB. There are a lot of ways that this could go sideways on you. I I don't know. I, I think that he's interesting, though. And if you could find somebody who just doesn't care and is willing to you know part with him for not very much, I could see making that move, especially if you're a quarterback hungry team. Yeah. And we will, I'm sure, talk about it as the offseason goes on. But I will say, even though I agree with you that these quarterbacks probably aren't worth a top three pick, it's going to happen, right? Like they're, the love is going to build, the hype's going to build, and one or more of them is going to sneak into the top three, I would, I'd would, i be willing to bet. Oh, yeah. If the Niners don't draft a quarterback with their first pick, I would be very surprised. Um, I, I just don't think Cleveland should. I, I don't think that they, ha- they have too many problems on defense. Yeah, no, I'm with you as far as what they should do. Yeah. Got anything else on Kessler before we uh, call this a show? Um, no, I think that about, yeah, that about covers it. All right. Um, so I want to start our little outro or sign off here with um, some thank yous. This has been our you know, first year as a, as a website, first year podcasting together. And um, we've had a bunch of guests on the podcast. And because this is our last regular season show, not to say we're going away for the offseason, we'll definitely be back and we have a lot more uh, in, in store for you guys. But um, just as kind of a, a putting a bow on the 2016 regular season, uh, thank you to all the guests who came on. Salvatore Stefanilli, Anthony Amico, Matt Harmon, Brian Malone, Scott Fish, JJ Zacharyson, Will Carroll, Josh Berger, Evan Silva, James Simpson, Ben Cummins, Ryan McDowell. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us and uh, support the podcast with your own voices and, and by making us a little bit smarter with all those uh, episodes you joined us for. Absolutely. Come back anytime. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, the listener, thank you very much. Um, 
I, I think a couple weeks ago I decided to start giving this spiel every time, but um, we know that, you know, you have a lot of choices when it comes to which podcast you listen to, which websites you visit. And, you know, all your support is, is very much appreciated by Josh, myself, Sal, and all the other writers uh, at two QBs.com. Um, if you want to show us a little bit more support, we would encourage you to rate and review the podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else. Um, those do help get the word out, help us grow the audience. And I know that you might not want your league mates clued in to, to you know, the awesome analysis that we may or may not be given. But any any support you can give the show uh, by word of mouth or by leaving a rating or review would be much appreciated. Um, but yeah, otherwise, just keep coming to the site. Uh, we'll have stuff in the off season. I, I'm sure we'll have a lot of good retrospective stuff. Um, we've had some pretty stats heavy articles going through the season, and I personally can't wait to see what some of those guys put forth. You know, in the off season, looking back at this year, you, you too, Josh. I, I always like your uh, looks back at the season. You know, taking all the data that we have and trying to figure out what to do with it for the future of fantasy, especially in two QB formats. Anything on tap that, that you're excited about uh, doing in the offseason? Just generally, like you said, well, I appreciate the kind words, but just looking back, this is my favorite time to be doing research and writing. During the season, it's kind of a grind, and you don't have the time to really look into things the way you do in the offseason. So getting to know the rookie, the incoming rookies is a big thing, but also looking back and breaking down the the quarterback performances from this year and looking for trends and things we can exploit next year. It, it's a fun time, and MFL 10's in February, so all kinds of good stuff. And, and something else that I've noticed about my own brain and my own analysis is that sometimes this lull right after the fantasy season is when I can get my best takes in on you know the upcoming season like before you know the hype machine starts to get going and and you start to hear about the same names over and over again from all the biggest you know uh, and best fantasy analysts out there like right now if you dive in do your own research sometimes now is when you come up with the best ideas and the best you know kind of measurements of, of what to expect for next year like we have all this data from 2016 but we don't have all the all the chatter about it yet. You know, we don't have other people informing us. It's, it's more, you get to kind of dive in and put your own spin on things, kind of take a look for yourself and, and see what jumps out to you. And, and that's one of the th- things that I love the most about uh, the early off season in terms of looking back and analyzing the data, because I think that when you filter out a lot of the buzz, uh, you know, kind of from the fantasy hive mind, that's when you can actually find uh, some extra truth in, in some of the analysis. What Don't you think Josh? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point, that lull where you're not just being overwhelmed by the volume of information coming at you and you kind of look at it with fresh eyes. Totally. So, yeah, um, be sure to come check out the site, 2QBs.com. Uh, if you have any questions for the podcast, like I said, we'll be back. Um, or just questions in general. It doesn't have to be for the podcast. Uh, you can tweet at us, at 2QBs on Twitter. Uh, email us at 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, in all the cases here with the website, the Twitter handle, the email address, you spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S and... Now that I've said all that, that means the episode is over, doesn't it, Josh? It does. So Fitzpatrick is bad. Adios. Adios.